Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labour is what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promise to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come run into you, because the Lord your God, the only one of Israel, for he has endowed down you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it, without watering the earth and making it bud or flourish, so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish that I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song for you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will go the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This, is, this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Uh, at the service 47 years ago, uh, the focus was on verse 6 in particular, um, but we're going to be looking at this whole chapter uh, and following the flow through it. So keep your Bibles handy and we'll work through it together. Uh, it's been uh, another big week for climate change news. You may have noticed this just for something different. You know, it's been all over the news. Uh, as we approach these global summits and discussion around net zero targets and uh, News Corp completely flipping its stance on all of these things, uh, it's, it's been big. Uh, I don't know if you've been following it. Um, and obviously, it's a big problem. It's, it's something we've heard about and learned about, and we, we see the implications of the effect that, that humanity has on this planet and... Um, you know, it's, it's a global problem, but it's got these personal implications. And I don't know about you and how you react to all of this news, but it, it can feel very daunting, can't it? You know, it's this enormous issue. And we just feel like very small people. Like, what can we do? What can I do about this? How can I have any impact on our climate or on our planet and seeing that uh, be, be changed for the better? It's... Um, they, they apparently, climate change anxiety is a thing, and you, you can kind of understand it. 
It's, it's such an enormous problem. We hear so much about it, but what can you or I do? We're, how can we help? Well, I want to, I want to encourage you. Um, here's, a, here's a thought for you. Now, we've been doing FOGO here uh, on the northwest coast for you know, two years, roughly. Uh, and since FOGO, our, our bins have halved. Okay? We, we get bins now fortnightly rather than every week. So, therefore, your rubbish output is roughly halved. Um, let's, let's do some maths. Uh, so say a wheelie bin weighs about 20 kilos worth of rubbish. I don't know if it does, I've never actually weighed one, but let's just use 20 as, as a nice round number. Uh, that means over the course of the year, you're putting out your bin now 26 less times, uh, which means you're saving 520 kilograms of rubbish from going to the tip, uh, sorry, the Waste Resource Recovery Centre. Thank you, not the tip. <laughs> The Resource Recovery Centre. Now, maybe that doesn't seem so great, you know, 520 kilos, that's not that much. Um, but here's the maths, 5,681 households in Olverston. Um, that means if, you know, we're all doing it right, that's 2,954,120 kilograms of rubbish, 2,950 tonnes of rubbish, that hasn't ended up at the Resource Recovery Centre this year. That's pretty, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's just in one year. But what if all of Tasmania gets on board? What if other councils roll out FOGO as well? Well, I did the maths. That would work out to be 125,706 tonnes of rubbish being saved. That's, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it, for little old Tasmania? That's, that's a lot of landfill that we don't have to worry about. And that's how this issue works, isn't it? You know, the small picture is overwhelming. What can I do is, is kind of the wrong question. You know, it's a huge issue. We've got very small abilities as, as individuals. But the cumulative, the, the zoomed out picture, that's helpful, isn't it? There's a bigger picture at play and we're part of that bigger picture and that's hopeful. Well, how much more of the church? You know, we've been given an enormous task, haven't we? We have been formed and called together to be Jesus' ambassadors to this world, uh, to show his goodness, to speak his name, and to call people to believe in him and become part of his people as well. We are here to represent God's glory to the world. That's daunting stuff, isn't it? <laughs> That's a huge task. How small is it? Can we, how, how small can we feel? You know, I, I worked out I've been here for less than 10% of this church's history. <laughs> Some of you have been here for much longer. But as we saw with the piece of string, this church has been here for 70 years out of the churches, at least since Pentecost's, almost 2,000 years. I don't know how many people have been part of this church over its history. I, I'm going to guess it at, you know, a couple thousand. That's a couple thousand out of the 10 billion people who have lived in the world in the past 70 years. It's quite daunting, isn't it? It's a big picture, and we're pretty small. But what Isaiah does in this chapter is, he shows us what we're part of. He shows us the great picture that God is working towards, and that's why we're going to look at this passage, because it gives us hope, and it gives us something precious to focus our eyes on. You might have heard the chapter starts with an invitation, and it's a beautiful invitation. Um, it's not Isaiah talking here, it is God speaking directly to his people and what he is offering is amazing. He is saying to us there is great stuff available and it's all yours. Look at again at verse 1. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Um, you can kind of imagine, you know, a market scene, you know, farmer's market, uh, and you've got all this great produce, all this beautiful food laid out all around you, uh, and it's all on offer. And instead of price boards, it just says zero dollars. And the stallholders are, are calling out, come, buy at no cost. Uh, you look hungry, you look thirsty, come and have your fill. Take what you would like, it's all yours. That's, that's God's posture here, that's what he's saying. Why go elsewhere? You know, why go and spend your money at Macca's? This is all free and it's all good. It's not just bread and water. It's not just processed, prepackaged food. It's the best. It's wine and milk. It's everything that's on offer and it's great. So is God inviting us to a literal feast? Well, actually we see the picture that this is all about is life itself. Look at verse, uh, the second half of verse 2. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. So God's using this food as a picture of life itself. He's saying, come to me because life is on offer with me and from me and of me. Not, not a second rate, not an average bare minimums life, but full, rich, and good life. He's saying the best life is on offer, and it's all yours at no cost. How do you have it? Well, it was there in verse 3, wasn't it? It's there in what God said. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. How do you get this life? You listen to God. You receive, you eat, to, to take the picture, to, you eat his words and you will be satisfied. You will receive life itself. In listening to him is life. Why? Because of what he says and because of what he offers. Look at verse 3 again. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. This is what God says. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Um, Actually, the language is just a little bit more subtle. What God is saying is, I'm going to include you in my covenant. I've made a covenant. I've made these promises to David, and I'm going to include you into I'm going to wrap you into those promises. Uh, what were those promises? Well, uh, you could flick back in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you see God speaking to King David. Uh, and you see him making these astonishing promises to him. He says, you're a great king. Uh, things are going well in my land, but I've got something far better planned. Uh, bigger than your kingdom, I've got a kingdom that's going to last forever. And I've got a king who's going to live forever. And I'm going to make those promises to you and your line. That king is going to be one of your descendants. And in that land, I will reign in that land, I will be with you. In that land, I will lavish myself and all my promises on you. That was what God said to David. 
And now what God is saying to us and to all nations is, I'm going to wrap you into that. I'm going to make that promise your promise. You can be part of that. You can receive that. You can live in that kingdom. You can be under that king. You can enjoy my presence and all of my riches lavished upon you. All of that is yours. You can share in that. You can have a part in that. Uh, if you were alive in, in 1980 um, and had $1,000 to invest in the stock market, there's all sorts of options you could have uh, been investing in at the time. But say you chose uh, an oddly named company, a company called Berkshire Hathaway, uh, with a CEO by the name of Warren Buffett, whom you have, may have heard of. You put your $1,000 into him uh, in buying Class A shares, and you get a grand total of 3.6 shares for your $1,000 which might not seem much. But today, uh, 41 years later, your $1,000 investment is now worth 1544000 and a bit of spare change. That's a pretty good investment, isn't it? Like, if you ever invent a time machine, there you go. There's an opportunity. But here's the thing. If you did that, if that was a choice that you made, um, that's not an increase that you achieved, is it? You know, it wasn't that you put that money in there and then you worked really, really hard and made really, really good decisions and, and you got that benefit out of it. You did nothing, did you? <laughs> you just put your money there. You, you simply bought the right to share in Warren Buffett's success, his obscene success, as it turns out. Well, God is offering the same thing here, but far better. He's offering an investment that is incredible here in Isaiah 55. He's saying, buy a part of my King David, and the covenant I'm making with him. But you can have a share for free in what I'm giving him. This eternal kingdom. This eternal rule. These eternal blessings. Every earthly investment carries risk. Uh, every earthly investment carries a potential of failure. But not here. This investment is absolutely secured because the guarantor of this investment is God himself. The eternal, unchangeable, almighty God. Earthly investments have expiry dates, but not this kingdom. This kingdom lasts forever. Earthly investments, there could always be more, couldn't there? You could have invested more at the start. You could invest more now. You could get better returns, but not this kingdom. It is fullness. It is richness. It is life in abundance forever and ever. It is a kingdom that satisfies forevermore. And God is calling out, come and share in it. Come and have a part in it. It is yours for free. Covenanted, secured forever. Have life and have it to the full. Have the best of life at absolutely no cost to you. There's no sting in the tail here. There's no endless terms and conditions which will eventually come back and bite you. It is free and it is yours. And all you have to do is listen to him. <laughs> Receive what he's saying and these promises are yours. This sure life is your life by his sure word. That's what's at the heart of God's people. Then and now, this life-giving word that God promises to his people. It's this word that wraps us into his promises, that wraps us into his people. It's this word that makes us his people. And promises us his riches. 
this word is who we are. So the very reason we can celebrate 70 years is not because we're great people. I mean, you are great people, but that's not why we can celebrate this. We can celebrate this because we have a great God and a great life-giving word. And the only way we'll ever celebrate another 70 years is if we continue in this great life-giving word, resting in it, delighting in it, rich in it, listening to it, and speaking it. Now, as if that one invitation wasn't enough, God actually repeats it again in this chapter, and he repeats it with an even greater urgency. Um, Look with me at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. It kind of sounds strange, doesn't it? Seek the Lord while he may be found. It kind of sounds like those TV marketing ads, you know, this... This is a one-time offer that will never be repeated, can't last forever for a limited time only. It, it kind of has that feel, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's kind of odd. That's weird, isn't it? Is God not going to be around forever? Um, is God deciding to take this offer off the table? I mean, he's God. Like, surely he can extend it. But actually, that's missing something vital. That's missing that for for God to come close, for God to extend this invitation, something amazing has to happen. This is no small thing that takes place. And and God explains that in verse 8 to 9. Have a look there. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What God is saying is, there's a gulf between us. You know, we in our, you know, our arrogance, we like to pretend that, yeah, God is better than us, but, you know, kind of here. <laughs> um, better, but almost within reach, kind of better. But God's saying completely different, isn't he? He's saying not so. He's saying uh, as far as the heavens are from the earth, you know, the, the unreachable sky, as far as that is, that's how far above you I am. That's how different and other and apart we are. It's, it's God's way of saying there is an uncrossable gap between us. We're on the outer. We're apart from him. Able to see him, but never able to receive him. It's a bit like, um, maybe you remember this, when we used to go to the airport, <laughs> way back when. Uh, you know how you're sitting in the airport and you're sitting in those horrible airport plastic chairs and it's a bit scungy it's dirty and it's really noisy and there's bustle and people and noise everywhere and it's just utter chaos but you can see across the corridor those beautiful doors to the lounge the airport lounge the holy of holies and you can see beautiful well-dressed people who get greeted at the door and welcomed in and you know there are treasures and riches inside those doors that you will never have (laughs) They are not yours. You're a pleb. You're on the outside. (laughs) That's kind of this. We're on the outside. We can see the good that's there, but we can never reach it because God is apart from us. God is above us. We are separated. We're separated by the, the, the distance of our different natures. You know, we're so human. He is so God. But we're further separated by the problem of our sin. We're so sinful, we're so rebellious. He is so perfect and holy and righteous. And all of this combines to create a gap that we can never cross. 
this, this, this barrier that we could never get past. We are on the outside and we ought to be on the outside forever, you know, forever pressing our noses up against the glass, as it were, but never able to get in. And yet God is doing something about that. God is crossing that barrier himself and inviting us to come close, to seek him, to call on him, to come near to him. How is that possible? What's there in verse 7? Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. That barrier can be crossed because he is willing to cross it. Because he is merciful, literally compassionate and abundantly pardoning. He is saying, I'm going to step across. You can come to me because I'm going to cross that distance. I'm going to come to you. He is willing to look past everything that stood between us, to pardon and forgive our sin and make it possible for us to know him. And he's willing to do it, as he's announced in this passage, freely, without one bit of cost to us at all. Freely. That reminds us of the banquet that's on offer, doesn't it? You who have no money, come, buy, at no cost. How is free possible? I mean, we say it, don't we? There's, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So how can off God offer us a free lunch, free life? How can it be no cost to you and me? Well, it's only possible if someone else pays the cost, isn't it? It can only be free to us if someone else has paid. But who could that be? Well, actually, if you know the book of Isaiah, he's already told us. He's told us just a couple of chapters ago in the chapters that form the backdrop to all these beautiful promises. This is what he said in Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his, our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who has paid the price? It is the servant. This figure that Isaiah has been writing about, he has borne the cost of everything that stood between us and God. He has taken it on himself to take it away so that we can buy it without cost. Who is the servant? Well, Isaiah couldn't have known, but we can. Because 700 years later, the servant came and was wounded and was afflicted and bore this punishment and died on a cross and came to life. God's own son, Jesus, paid that cost. He paid the price. His suffering, his death, it's on our behalf. So when we heed God's invitation, when we come to him confessing and repenting and hearing his word, all of his riches are ours, freely. It's a bit like what you see in a few cafes. I, I don't think I've seen it in, in a cafe on the northwest coast, but I've, I've seen it elsewhere. You, you know, sometimes you go to a cafe and behind the counter there's this big board and written on it is 
pay it, the pay it forward board. Um, and the idea is you come in, uh, you buy yourself a coffee, but you can pay two or three coffees price uh, and pay it forward for someone else. You can either specify a name or just make it the very next person who comes in. Uh, and they can come in and they'll go to pay the coffee and the person behind the counter will say, ah, this one's actually on so-and-so, the price has been paid, you can have your coffee for free. It's great. You, you know, you've paid it forward, they get the coffee for free. What Isaiah is saying is, that's what Jesus has done. He's paid it forward. We, we get to feast on the sure riches of life because he's bought it for us already. He's paid the price, he's put your name on that board so that you get it for free. His death and resurrection pays all that cost so that his riches, what he has bought, is yours. You can receive it. And all you have to do is rock up and uh, listen and repent and receive freely and forever. How do we know that's true? How can you be sure? Because God said so. That's what he says. Look at verse 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What God says comes to be. We're not like that. You know, we say things all the time and they never happen. Um, so sometimes I wonder at home if I'm even speaking out loud. Uh, the, the amount I seem to get ignored. <laughs> None of my family are here at the moment, so I can say that. <laughs> but see, that's where, that's where our words and God's words just aren't the same. We say things and they don't happen. God says things and every single one of them comes to be. Everything he says, all his words that he sends out, they achieve the purpose for which he sent them Without exception, 100%, what God says happens. And God has said salvation. God has offered it freely. Believe and it's yours, he says, because what he says happens. This word saves because he said it will save. And not only does it save, but he says it will renew. Look at the beautiful picture of verse 12 and 13. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown and for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. The, the picture Isaiah is giving us, just a small taste of is beautiful. He's saying it's a picture of peace and of joy and of celebration that comes to all those who believe his word, who receive this life. It's, it's a picture of delight. I mean, this is the fruit that God's saving word bears. It's renewal, isn't it? It's a land restored. It doesn't have thorns and briars and horrible weeds anymore. It's, it's lush and beautiful trees that are fruitful and good. It's a garden. And all of this, he says, for his renown. All this work in his people and for his people, their life, their, their salvation, their renewal, it is for his renown, it is a signpost for his glory, for his goodness, for his mercy. At the end of the day, his people are renewed and his people are for his glory. 
his word remaking, reshaping, and then echoing out from them so that everyone can see how good he is when they see how good his work in his people is. It's the word that makes him, that makes them his people. It's the word that saves them. It's the word that rings out from them. And as his people here today, that is who we are. Saved, renewed, and signposts of. Uh, Paul picks up on the idea in 1 Timothy 3. He says the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And the, the word pillar is, is billboard. It's, it, it's, a, it's a signpost. It is a picture of God's goodness. That's what the church is about. The word defines us. The word makes us. The word changes us. And the word goes out from us. That's what our church is about. I was reflecting this week and... You know, thinking about today and this celebration, and, and 70 years is a celebration. It's, it's, it's a wonderful milestone. But really, the church isn't just about ticking off milestones, isn't it? That's not why we exist, to make it to the next birthday. I mean, those things are good and we, we should remember them and be thankful for them, but, but they're actually not who we are, are they? They're things to note on the, on, on the way, but they're not our identity. This is our identity. I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful? I don't, I don't know if we're going to get another 70 years. Maybe in God's goodness we will. Uh, I don't know if I'll be there for that. But, but anyway, I'm sure it would be a wonderful celebration. But, but wouldn't it be so much better if instead of another 70 years, we were celebrating another 70 people coming to Jesus? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be astonishing? I'd love to be there for that. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be wonderful? Because that's what we're about, isn't it? That's what the church is about. We're saved by his word. We're renewed by his word. We're sent to the nations to speak his word for his renown, to be a signpost to his glory. That's what we are. So let's celebrate today. Absolutely. Let's give thanks to him. But let's also look forwards. Uh, let's resolve for the next uh, 70 years or however many years are afforded to us. Not on reaching 70 years but on the next 70 converts, on the next 100. Let's plan for that. Not for our growth, not for more people in this room, but for his glory. Because that's the bigger picture, isn't it? That's the, the zoomed out reality that he has made us a part of. His word working in his people as a sign for his renown, for the sake of his glory forever. Who knows how many years God will give us? He does. But we can know that he's given us his word and that his word is sure, it is saving, it is life-giving, it is restoring. And I know that as long as this church holds that word close and holds that word out, that he will continue to work in this church and through this church exactly as he has promised to do. And that as we do that as his people, we will find ourselves in his eternal and beautiful and saving purposes for his glory throughout history and life to come. So let's pray that that would be true. Let me, let me lead you as we do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the rich gift that your word is to us. We praise you for the life it brings. 
for the security and confidence and assurance it gives for the place in your promises that it grants us, renewed and rescued forever. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the great yes to all of your promises, and that in and through him we can receive all this freely because he has paid the price for us. Father, we pray that this life-giving word uh, would be at the heart of who we are as your people, that both now and in the future we would hold this word close and that we would hold this word out. Father, we pray that by your grace, not only would we celebrate more years together, but most of all, we would celebrate more people gathered to you, more people saved in Jesus, more people renewed through your word as a sign to your glory. Father, may you work to this end amongst us and through us and bless us in this way for the sake of your name. In Jesus, our Saviour, we pray. Amen.